Hey, this is Mohal Joshi from Los Angeles, California. I follow Indian foreign policy and defense with a special focus on Asia. You can follow me on Twitter at Mohal Joshi. Hey, this is Kishore Narayan from Bengaluru in India. I am an international relations expert specializing in global security, conflict resolution, and international negotiation. My focus areas include peace building and digital diplomacy. You can find me on Twitter at Veggie Diplomat. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of India Rising Strategic Affairs Conversations with Mohal and Kishore, a show in which we analyze the happenings from around the world and their impact on India. Before we begin with today's episode, we just hope that you and your loved ones are safe at home and are healthy during these troubled times. Remember to stay home and stay safe. In today's episode, we talk about the recent skirmishes witnessed at multiple locations across the line of actual control, also called the LAC, between India and China in the past three weeks. Skirmishes along the LAC are nothing new, but the synchronized efforts at multiple locations across various sectors have made all of us take note of the evolving situation. If you are listening to us through a podcast, we recommend that you listen to this episode on YouTube as we have added a lot of maps and images which augment the analysis that we are going to make. The YouTube link can be found in the description. Before we look at the skirmishes, where and how they happened, there is an important aspect that we think is needed to set things straight. And that is about the differing perceptions of the LAC. The border issue is something that we had covered in episode 22 during the Chinese president Xi Jinping's visit to Chennai for an informal summit with the Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi. One thing to remember is that since the 1967 Nathula border conflict, there has not been any armed skirmishes across the LAC for over 52 years. The last bullets fired were in Arunachal Pradesh in 1975 when some Indian soldiers reportedly got lost in the fog and were shot at by Chinese troops. There are transgressions by China along the line of actual control where they keep needling India constantly. India has a dispute with Pakistan over Pakistan-occupied Jammu and Kashmir, but we do have a delineated LOC line of control up to point NJ9842. But for the LAC keeping aside the territorial claims made by both sides, there is no uh, delineated border at all. So while troops on one side might genuinely think that they are patrolling on their own territory, the opposite side might think that they are encroaching on their territory. Mohan? Yes, Kishore. So uh, let's take a fictitious example to dwell into more detail on this topic. So let's take a fictional situation where there might be a dispute between two states of India, let's say Gujarat and Delhi, for example. So as you can see the image on the screen, let's say both make a claim to the state of Rajasthan to be part of their own territory. Now, neither side has full control of Rajasthan which they claim to be theirs. So as you can see on the map, let's say like, I mean, both have fought a war in theory over this area. And when hostilities ended, they were around the city of Ajmer, approximately in central Rajasthan. But there is no defined boundary which separates, uh, which separates them both. Now, one might think that both sides would have troops uh, actually eyeball to eyeball at Ajmer where a theoretical LAC passes through. However, they are in reality positioned a bit behind that. Now, both Gujarat and Delhi can decide where the actual LAC in this case falls at. Now, Gujarat as shown in the map would claim that the LAC should be all the way up to Jaipur, which is like a bit more towards Delhi uh, versus Gujarat, making the area claimed by Gujarat larger than what Delhi would ideally want. Now, conversely, on the other hand, Delhi would make the claim as per its own perception that it lies at Udaipur and all the areas north of it falls under Delhi's control where it has the right to patrol. 
So what this would make is that this would, uh, uh, what in effect it creates is a gray zone where the area between let's say Jaipur, which is the Gujarat claim line and Udaipur, which is the Delhi claim line is claimed by both sides to be theirs. Hence both armies see it fit to patrol up to their own claim lines and where some of these disputes or standoffs would occur. Kishore? Yeah, that's a, a great example uh, for our listeners to understand. So, uh, in effect, we have the Gujarat claim line and the Delhi claim line. And very similarly, we have the India claim line and the China claim line. Now, the above example involved areas stretching over hundreds of kilometers. But if you scale it down greatly to the situation at LAC between India and China, this is what is happening on the ground. Both armies are keen to patrol to their respective claim lines. And when they come into contact with each other is when the disputes arise as to who is encroaching on whose land. In the past, both armies used to patrol to their own respective claim lines and then turn back to their bases without encountering any opposition. However, in recent years, since India has stepped up patrolling, they run into Chinese patrols very often, which causes these standoffs. This is a significant point which has to be kept in mind when one hears of more incursions or standoffs occurring over the past few years versus earlier. When you have an undefined or non-delineated border with a differing perception of where the actual border should lie, it creates many of these issues of reported encroachments on both sides. This issue of a delineated LOC versus a non-delineated LAC often gets overlooked in the discussion of the boundary dispute. This is where the mandate of the special of the previously mentioned special representatives comes into the picture. Define, delineate and demarcate. While there have been 22 rounds of these talks, the 22nd round was held in Delhi in December 2019, we have not resolved the boundary, boundary dispute. The frustrating part on India's side is that while we have put forth our claims, the Chinese, for some apparent reason, have never put forth their claims. When the process began, initially, maps were exchanged in the middle sector where the differences were the least. However, when the exercise was done in the western sector, once China saw the Indian claims and most likely realized that the divergences in positions claims were so large with their perceptions, not only they refused to share their claims, but also the process fell through around 2002. China has since rejected this exercise, viewing it as adding another complication to the ongoing boundary negotiations. India's argument is rather than agree on one LAC, the exercise could help both sides understand the claims of the other, paving the way to regulate activities in contested areas until a final settlement of the boundary dispute. Once both sides put forth their claims, some resolution can be reached via a so-called grand bargain or negotiations, but without any claims from one side, it becomes very hard to reach a settlement, if not impossible. On January 1st, 2020, China said uh, that it, along with India, was actively exploring the contents of an early harvest settlement of the bilateral boundary dispute. Beijing's statement comes, came a day after Hindustan Times reported that India had linked China's early harvest proposal for settling the Sikkim land boundary to the simultaneous demarcation of the middle sector in Uttarakhand as a stepping stone to the faced resolution of the boundary dispute. So uh, if you see uh, the entire boundary uh, demarcation dispute uh, runs through the entire length of the India-China border, starting from Ladakh uh, in the north, all the way up to Arunachal Pradesh in the east. So uh, there are multiple uh, regions where such uh, negotiations will have to take place and uh, a fruitful settlement will have to be arrived at. But 
because china is not playing game uh, india claim uh, will will follow defeat mohal yeah so a good explanation on the historical perspective so now coming to the current standoff the current standoff started earlier this month uh, is like may 2020 in multiple places along the lac in both the western sector which is ladakh and also in the eastern sector in northern sikkim so on may 9th in nakula a mountain pass between northern sikkim and tibet there was a confrontation between indian and chinese troops according to one report a young indian lieutenant punched a chinese major which led to the major being left with a bloody nose now in the process of this confrontation some soldiers from both sides were injured the situation was ultimately brought under control after senior officers of both sides uh, intervened mm-hmm. uh, Mo- yeah mohal i actually read one more article uh, yesterday mm-hmm. while uh, researching for this and mm-hmm. uh, that article also mentioned that an indian uh, officer was also injured and he had to be airlifted uh, back to safety now another point uh, mm-hmm. with regard to the this is happening in a new place altogether in a place called uh, nakula and uh, remember it's not uh, the nakula the border outpost that we keep hearing about which is much closer to doklam and um, nakula has also been closed uh, ever since the doklam uh, crisis broke out but again uh, nakula is a brand new place where we are seeing this kind of a skirmish sorry mohan go ahead yeah no that's fine so also like sikkim was supposed to be part of the settled boundary uh, <laughs> when we call yes. it the in- international boundary i mean the issues are in the northern sector with ladakh and in the eastern sector with arunachal pradesh arunachal, yes. so sikkim was supposed to be the settled boundary and now they have opened up another front apparently true so now coming to the other the main standoffs which are occurring in ladakh and are still ongoing So the first standoff point was the Pangong so or the Pangong Lake. Now this beautiful lake in eastern Ladakh is on the LAC with Tibet. Now approximately 2/3 of the lake is under Chinese control while the remaining 1/3 is under Indian control. This lake has been I mean if listeners recall has been featured in a quite a few Bollywood movies such as Dil Se and Three Idiots and also in other regional cinema uh, this is like a popular uh, shooting location. so uh, now coming back to the 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 aspect of the where the disputes are occurring so the lake's northern bank as you see uh, has protrusions which look like fingers into the lake now there are eight protrusions which are identified as fingers to demarcate this disputed territory so if you see this image that we are sharing courtesy of uh, bharatrakshak.com forum uh, what india asserts basically is that the line of actual control is up to finger 8 however the chinese claim says it starts at finger 2 so if you see like finger 2 is to the left of the image and finger 8 is to the right or the east so this is the finger area between finger 2 and finger 8 will be the kind of the disputed area between the two nations now uh, to put this in better perspective uh, the twitter user detestra uh, who does a uh, imint which is imagery intelligence in his recent tweet as you see on the screen have shown the respective claim lines where the indian claim line is up to uh finger 8 and the uh the chinese claim line is up to uh finger 4 you know so uh uh moving on so now, now while india claims that the lac is at finger 8 their patrol used to take a, up to a place until about finger 5 and anything beyond uh finger 5 was always challenged by the chinese now interestingly during the 1999 kargil war when indian troops were diverted from the area to uh, fight the war china took advantage of this opportunity and quietly built up uh, built a road uh, to at finger 4 Now, finger four is where, uh, as per certain reports, the Indian and Chinese troops came to blows in middle of 2017, uh, which resulted in stone pelting. I mean, this was also happening concurrently when the Doklam standoff was occurring uh, in the eastern sector. 
Now, as per some reports, uh, around six years, the Chinese attempted to build a permanent construction at Finger Four, which was then subsequently demolished after Indians strongly objected to it. The Indian pat- side patrols on foot, and before the recent tensions, could uh, go up to uh, Finger Eight. Now, the fracas between the Indian and Chinese soldiers earlier this month uh, happened in the general area around uh, Finger Five, which led to a disengagement between the two sides. However, after that, the Chinese uh, have now stopped the Indian soldiers moving beyond Finger Two. It is an eyeball-to-eyeball situation, which is uh, still developing, as per reports. Now, uh, India had tried building a road from Finger Two towards Finger Three, which would then allow soldiers and vehicles to move quickly along the northern bank of the lake. Now, as per reports in the print. the chinese have built blocking points uh, at finger two to stop indian patrols from going further and are also reportedly building uh, bunkers in that area now sources said that the importance of the finger area to Ch- the chinese is that if they come west of the finger four they will have direct observation of lukung which is where the indian patrol boats are kept and they will be able to observe all of uh, india's movements around the northern bank I mean, like Pangong Sir is like one of the main contentions. There are a lot of claims and counterclaims. So all this uh, reporting we have sourced from various sources is still uh, fluid. I mean, every day we keep hearing new reports. So hopefully, once the uh, standoff ends, we will get a final picture of which finger everybody is at and mm-hmm. which finger are they moving into. It's like quite confusing to say the least. to track all this uh, claims and counter claims from uh, various sources but so, there is some hmm. issue occurring between finger 2 and finger 3 for sure i mean right so if that's the case then we all know that the chinese have always claimed un- uh, till uh, finger 4 and according to the report in the print uh, it says that the chinese have built blocking points at finger 2 uh, that kind of implies that the chinese soldiers had actually Uh, trespassed into Indian territory, right? Uh, that's the kind of observation yeah, that but, people are making. Yeah, but but then certain sources say so. Like the image that Tetraswa uh, uh, shared, he says the claim is up to finger four, while other reports say the Chinese claims are up to finger two. So that also le- leads an ed- added level of confusion whether the Chinese claim is still finger two or finger four. You know, I, again goes so, back to our original complaint that uh, the Chinese have never. Shared their claim lines with us at all, so we don't really know uh, what goes on in their mind. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's like a fluid situation, and even the the lack of reporting also hurts us in this case. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, uh, moving to the hot springs area. So, as per the NDTV report on May twenty ninth, sources indicated that the Chinese buildup of forces has taken place close to the Indian posts. Though it is likely that the buildup is presently located on the Chinese side of the LAC, and there are like no incursions. Now reports indicated that this month the PLA did move artillery and uh, towed artillery and infantry combat vehicles to areas near the LAC. I think that got a lot of buzz in the media because everybody was speculating, oh, like Chinese are bringing heavy armor and we are like uh, in trouble. But that's not the case, which we'll dwell more later in the podcast. But uh, these. formations are still like uh, to the east of the lac in chinese held territory and are, and are not any new incursions into indian held territory so again uh, if we refer to the twitter user detressa uh, who does like imagery intelligence in his recent tweet from may 29 confirmed that the chinese build up was within chinese held territory and they did not intrude uh, lac so this sort of confirms the ndtv report which was uh, occurring and i mean you i'm also you can see it on the screen uh regarding the images uh for the same right so now coming to the third hand uh, stand off point which is the galwan valley so the shayak river is an important landmark if you look in ladakh and it runs mostly parallel to the lac uh, in eastern ladakh now galwan valley is a narrow valley which branches off from the shayak river so This area, I mean, interestingly, saw armed clashes between Chinese and Indian troops in the 1962 war. Now, at the present day, the Chinese troops have reportedly to come, uh, reported to have come very close to the LAC, or possibly slightly over the LAC. Now, the construction of a feeder road or bridge, as you see on the screen, 
uh, over the rivulet near the confluence of the Galwan and the Shayak River. So the Galwan Valley also like uh, carries water from the Galwan River. So the uh, the confluence has been quoted as the reason for the standoff. So they have been trying to build a small uh, bridge over the rivulet, which will give better access from the uh, the main road. So the building of this feeder road, as they say, that branches off from the main 255 kilometer Dabruk Shayak DBO road, or what is commonly referred as DSDBO road, has reportedly irked the Chinese who would like uh, to want this construction to be stopped immediately. Now, as per uh, satellite analysis, analysis by Nathan Ruser of the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, I mean, as you see in the image, uh, the the Chinese posts are beyond the Chinese, uh, the LAC on eastern side of the LAC, which is in Chinese held territory, or like uh, one location would be very close, either like slightly over the LAC or on the LAC. Now, the Indian position is like still 500 meters away, as it indicated. So, uh, again, like there were some reports saying that they had crossed well over which is it doesn't seem to be true from based on this uh, reports by imagery imagery intelligence okay so galwan river basin is at 13600 feet while the surrounding mountain crests are 19000 feet high which makes it unlikely for any major conflict escalation in this area in theory even if the chinese were to bring in overwhelming forces to this area they would be constricted to mostly fighting in this narrow valley, which would not help them even with the large number of troops. So, uh, I mean, I've been sharing these images so you can see like it's a narrow valley, uh, the Galwan Valley with uh, high peaks around. So, I mean, it would be, even if you had overwhelming a superior amount of forces, uh, it would still be hard to do any kind of armed conflict in this where you would be highly successful. So, now coming to the Indian response, like what has Indian uh, India done in response to this uh, Chinese uh, standoff with the, with the Chinese troops? I mean, so I mean, uh, initially there was a lot of uh, sort of like panic, for lack of better term, in the media about it. So a defense journalist, I mean, I shall not name him, like had over the past few days gradually ratcheted up the tension on this so-called Chinese incursions across the LAC. He started up saying, oh, there are 5,000 troops. Then he moved on to 10,000 troops. <laughs> I mean, it was like almost like a binary fission occurring in the, in the number of troops. So these soldiers were said to then, he started like this theory that they were said to have been deep inside Indian territory on our side of the LAC. At some point in the standoff, his claims were that there was your Chinese brigade at each of these face-off points, which was like true, too good to be true uh, in Ladakh. Now, we, while reasons for this alarmist reporting are best known to him, I mean, this was picked up by both the Indian and the foreign media experts who were quoting him, uh, painting a very grim picture of the situation on the ground, which was like not simply true. Now, there were other sources in the media, thankfully, who did quote that there were 5,000 troops who were diverted from an ongoing exercise in Tibet, but they were not at the LAC per se. They were held in reserve at depth in Chinese-held territory in Aksai Chin. Now, Rajat Pandit of the Times of India reported that there are only 1,200 to 1,500 soldiers at the actual face-off points, while Snehes Alex Philip at the print said it was estimated, uh, and I quote, like it is estimated that every transgress location has around 600 to 800 troops each, end quote. So, I mean, if you look at it, it's either like, say, 1,200 to 1,500, or even if you multiply like 600 into 3, it would still be like, or maybe 800 into 3 is like still 2,400. It's nowhere close to like a brigade each as the other uh, reporter was alluding to. Now, both of these numbers are well below the alarmist 5,000 to 10,000 troops as mentioned above. Now, India in response had, had decided to stay dug in and conduct what is called mirror deployment. So what mirror deployment means, like if China deploys some troops, we push our troops up and make sure that we have adequate sun in case the balloon goes up. So now Times of India had rep uh, report had said that Indian Army had moved some of its units of the Lay Base Infantry Division forward to their operational alert areas with other units replacing them in the traditional depth areas. 
so this was basically to cater for any contingencies just in case i mean a very unlikely possibility that hostilities break out at the lsc which i still personally think is like uh, obviously it's not not 0% but it's like slim now while some folks had uh, i mean the common folk have readily experienced like heartburn or have many uh, mini panic attacks over the like the 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 crazy reporting that we have seen on the chinese forces near and in depths around the lsc now most don't consider that the strength of indian forces in eastern ladakh now if you look at the screen like below is an image of indian forces based in the area based of some brilliant work by vats rohit uh, twitter handle kesri dwaj who is meticulously outlining in detail all the indian troops and armor force levels in the critical in this area so he does mention that um, as part of the 14 core so interestingly like up to the 1999 kargil war the 15 core was in charge of the entire uh, kashmir area now after the kargil war uh, some years after that they separated uh, they set up a new fifth, uh, 14 core which was just to serve ladakh and over the years i mean over the past two decades they uh, gradually increase uh, force levels in here with the 14 core where they have three infantry divisions uh, and an armored brigade including some tanks deployed to db or dalab bay goldie so anyways uh, moving on to uh, i mean you can read the details on the screen now one must understand that when you are projecting force levels at lsc one has to also consider strengths on both sides to get a good perspective i mean just looking at the, at the chinese side in a vacuum doesn't help us because you might just see like oh, there are like thousands of troops and like it might just make you make seem to you that there is nothing on the indian side which many of the media reporting doesn't uh, allude to unfortunately now india over the past 10 years has strengthened its presence in the area any kind of skirmish in the areas uh especially where there are the terrain presents a challenge we require the aggressor to have a substantial superiority in force levels to achieve these goals now there hasn't been up till now any such reporting of massive build up of troops where they could simply overwhelm with uh, vastly superior numbers the indian positions um uh i mean even in a, even on a highly localized level such build up has not been reported now with the indian forces deployed in numbers uh, as i mean as you see in the image i mean no chinese commander in his right frame of mind would even want to escalate this thing to an armed conflict now while some in the media might may want to project the events in a manner that the situation is dire and war is imminent the possibility of the scur- an armed skirmish remains like uh, slim i mean the situation as it goes best encapsulated by mk narayan the formal national security advisor and also interestingly a special representative on the boundary talks uh, under the previous upa government who said that uh, and i quote him a uh, quote the the most important thing is not to view every single border skirmish as the beginning of another war he said uh, we should not we should be careful in not being driven by and i'm sorry to say what the media and many the uh, people are saying end quote so uh like this was of the indian response so now this has uh, brought up a several questions in the minds of many that what's the reason for this current standoff i mean like why uh, what would be the trigger point for this now uh, the best explanation that people could come up is like is the infrastructure that india is, has built up over the last few years now china has what we describe as many as having an early movers advantage as having far better border infrastructure uh, on their side of the boundary now this asymmetry in border infrastructure has helped the chinese all these years and they were happy to have that because india was lacking in this regard now india i mean this was like a complete head scratcher to me like for a very long time even after the defeat in 1962 war tragically neglected to build the necessary robust infrastructure near to the lsc the thinking back back in the day was like reportedly that oh if there was a war and if uh, china would overrun the indian positions the border they could use this infrastructure and rapidly advance into this infrastructure will give them 
and easy access to the Chinese troops to ingress rapidly into India. Thankfully, around like probably like around one and a half decade ago, this defensive mindset uh, was finally let go, and priority was given to building roads and railway links in these hard to remote uh, areas near the LAC. Now, Indian troops coming to the the local area like what we call uh, eastern ladakh or subsector north as a, how it's referred uh, indian troops were at a disadvantage due to not having ideal road connectivity now india uh, has an advanced landing ground uh, or alg as it's referred for the indian air force in the dalat beg oldi which is like in the northernmost part of eastern ladakh or subsector north so Dorat Bed Oldi has the world's, uh, interestingly, the highest advanced landing ground. It's almost 17,000 feet above sea level. So supplies in these troops in this area had either to be airlifted to this advanced landing ground or what transported, uh, I mean, imagine in this day and age, why mules of all things, which was a arduous uh, few days journey from Leh. So... Uh, and, he, and also Delot Bay Goldie is just a short distance away from the critical Karakoram Pass, uh, which sits on the border with Tibet. Now, last year, as a part of this massive push, uh, uh, and due to the tremendous work by the BRO, which is the Border Roads Organization, who is responsible for building and maintaining border roads, the strategic 255-kilometer Darbuk Shayok Dalat Bay Goldie or DSDBO road got completed. Now, if you look at the image, like uh, this excellent illustration by, again, by Vats Rohit or Twitter handle Kesri Dwaj, the Dabruk uh, to Dalbe Goldi uh, road is shown and it shows all the major points uh, which were connected uh, by this road from Leh to Shayok to the confluence of the Shayok and the Galwan rivers to Murgo and to Dalat Begoldi and eventually the Karakoram Pass. Now, uh, uh, the Director General of BRO, Lieutenant General uh, Harpal Singh, in an interview just a couple of months ago to Bharat Shakti, had said that the DSDBO road had approximately 37 bridges, which have been built across various rivers and rivulets. Now, this road has cut down the time to reach DBO for, from lay by from two to three days to just under six hours. So imagine the improvement in the connectivity. Now this has been a great achievement as during the summer, the raging waters of the Shayak River made it impossible to cross hindering connectivity with areas across the river to the LAC. Also, there were frequent cloud bursts, as he mentioned, and also melting glaciers, which uh, proved a lot of challenges to move across this axis. Uh, which was vital to connect to the Dalat Beg Oldi up in the uh, north of this region. Now, one of the standoff points, as I mentioned earlier, was the junction of the Galwan and the Shayak rivers. It was caused by the construction of this feeder road which branches of this strategic 255-kilometer road. Interestingly, like uh, uh, Taylor Fravel of the Professor of Political Science and Director of Security Studies Program at MIT, said in an interview that China lacks, a, and I quote him, China lacks a road similar to DSDBO that runs parallel to the LSE and that can facilitate the lateral movement of troops along the Chinese side of the LSE. China likely views it as challenging to their position and on and perhaps the stability of the LSE, end quote. So to conclude here, like the Chinese have enjoyed dominance in this infrastructure on the domain in the past. And now are slowly waking up to the fact that the gap with India is slowly decreasing. Now, it is not that the infrastructure poses an existential threat to their positions across the LSE. But once their one-sided advantage of theirs is now slowly being eroded is what rankles them the most. Their aim as part of the standoff is up to the, pres up the pressure in India to show that they can still call the shots and change the situation on the ground as they desire. To show basically, you know, like Kishore, they are the boss. Hmm. Now, the Chinese would want to return to an old status quo as a precondition to peacefully disengage from the standoffs. So basically, you know, they say, oh, you know what? We built our roads. Now uh, we will come and intervene. And now if you want us to go back quietly, you stop building your roads, which would be such a total bullying attempt on their part, I would say. 
Now, this would be a sort of a reverse of the Degulum situation where India blocked Chinese construction of a road towards a sensitive Jamperi region in Bhutan. Now, during the that standoff in 2017, near the tri-junction of India, Tibet and Bhutan, the Indian troops crossed over into Bhutanese territory and stayed there during the 73-day standoff. Now, such a return to status quo would mean abandoning the infrastructure building on India's part. I mean, this would obviously be detrimental to India's interests as this would leave Chinese in a stronger position at the LSE vis-a-vis India. Now, India so far, and I hope should continue to do so in the future, resist any such bullying attempts by the Chinese to abandon building of roads as part of any bargain with the Chinese to not do incursions in the Indian territory across the LSE. I mean, Chinese, as you know, are not to be trusted at any time. They can easily change their position at a drop of an hat. Now, if India can successfully navigate such standoffs without giving up this building of this critical infrastructure, then the Chinese plan to retain their first more advantage will not succeed. And I think, Kishore, I think the statements from the Ministry of Defense, and I think even the, I think even, I don't know if Radnath Singh alluded to this, that basically the infrastructure building is not going to be slowed down, correct? Indeed, indeed, yeah. That's what they have uh, mentioned. So at least we are saying like, uh, I mean, I'm using somebody else's term, like saying like resolute at the border and firm and saying we'll, we'll, we'll negotiate with you, but we won't like stop the road building as a precondition to you guys, I mean, the Chinese disengaging from the border. Correct. Uh, uh, basically what they are telling is they want to stay firm at the border and be uh, negotiable, negotiating and have a, have a, a flexible approach at the discussion table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, like this brings a question that is this standoff different from the other standoffs? Um, how is it different? So while the standoffs have occurred with China in the re- past, especially the recent past, now what makes this different versus earlier ones that are like a few, I wouldn't say a couple, a few different points, how it's different this time around versus earlier ones. So see, earlier standoffs like Depsang in 2013, Chumar in 2014, Doklam in 2017, were in a single point or location. Now this time around, we have three distinct standoffs occurring on the same time in Ladakh, which are like, I mean, mind you, geographically well separated. It's not like they're occurring in like the same general area. There's also an incident in Sikkim in the eastern sector, which was like thousands of kilometers away from this standoffs in Ladakh. This, as per some experts, is a sign that this was not due to some actions of which can be attributed to some overzealous local commander, uh, local PLA commander, I mean. Now, it could very well be that the PLA is possibly acting under instructions from the highest levels in Beijing to uh, stir up trouble at the border. Now, another point is that in the past, these incidents have largely remained peaceful, barring the 2007 incident and the banks of the Pangon Lake, where a few soldiers from both sides were injured in stone pelting. Now, this time, however, the number of injuries to soldiers is like concerning. The aggressive Chinese behavior has resulted in fisticuffs and fighting, which has led to injuries, which as per some reports, has even necessitated the moving of some injured soldiers uh, from the heights in Ladakh down to hospitals across North India for treatment, which is something new we haven't heard before. Uh, the number of soldiers like might not have been in thousands as some defense journalists have alluded to, but like they still seem to be larger than the previous standoffs. I mean, the reports of China moving up close to the border, but obviously like not at the LAC, but at some depth from the LAC, of tanks, infantry fighting vehicles, artillery, seems that they have came prepared for this standoff. I think, Kishore, what I feel is that they probably have learned from the earlier standoffs where they encountered vigorous Indian response and maybe they just want to do this show of force. So maybe they brought in the heavy armor to maybe scare the Indians. Indeed. I think I think it's more of a, a, a perspective That's and true. some kind of a uh, yeah. show of strength uh, just yeah. to, just to uh, catch uh, Indian armed forces off guard. But I think... Yeah, uh, yeah I think yeah. they have learned from the previous standoff. It looks like, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, yeah so uh, interestingly, uh, Lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant General uh, D.S. Huda 
in an inter interview with uh, Nitin Gokhale on Strat News Global, uh, said that the 2014 Chumar incident uh, uh, coincided with Xi's visit to India, which I mean everybody knows like uh, very well that it was occurring then. But uh, this was also when there was a lot of flooding in Kashmir. So as per uh, what he was mentioning, uh, moving of troops in Kashmir was more difficult. So this leads uh, to speculation on his part that this time around, maybe the Chinese are trying to get advantage of India like they did back then when we had flooding issues. Maybe now they were busy with dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. So they are trying to take maybe advantage to see maybe we can be moved off our positions by intervening now versus of all or any other time, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think I think uh, you gave a very good uh, explanation of the uh, eventual happenings on the ground, wherein we kind of understood the topography and uh, the claims and also uh, the kind of skirmishes that we have had, uh, each one being different from the other. Uh, the Galwan Valley skirmish is different from I think they covered the whole gamut, right? They have intervened in a valley, valley they have come water, on a lake, mm, lake mm. and like on a flat, I mean, not, I mean, exactly a flat plain, but relatively flat ground considering what else is there in Ladakh. So, and that too, like it, like Galwan is slightly to the north. I mean, uh, Hot spring is slightly to the middle. I won't say like then, Central and then Ladakh. Pangong to the south. Pangong yes. is like to the south. I mean, it's not truly south. There's still like Demchok and <laughs> Chumar below it. Correct. Correct. Yeah, I mean, they have covered like probably like three different axes into, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, I mean, Ladakh. And interestingly, like Galwan, uh, one thing I forgot to mention is like Galwan, then these points, uh, one thing I wanted to mention is this. Uh, I mean, we know like some. Uh, well-known places where they are not agreeing to the border, like the Pangong Lake is well-known. But Galwan is like a new front that of they kind of opened up, like which was never a kind of issue. I mean, the interesting thing is they never exchanged the map, so we don't know what the perception is. But we never had issues at Galwan, which is kind of different from the previous standoff. I mean, that's only, that's only uh, goes to show that the Chinese were never honest in their uh, attempts uh, of uh, border negotiations. I mean, uh, five years down the line, uh, with such uh, repeated skirmishes, five years down the line, they can come with a new claim, telling that <laughs> yeah. uh, they have always claimed uh, Galwan Valley and the Galwan River uh, confluence point with the Shiok River. I mean, uh, there's no way that you can argue back at them telling, hey, you know what, five years back when we asked you, you never gave us your claim. But yeah. now you are doing that. Yeah, I think that's why patrolling up to your claim lines is important. Exactly, uh, yes. Because if you don't patrol up to it, they'll say, oh, you never patrolled, bother to patrol up to it. So why are you making the claim, you know, now? In, in fact, the Chinese have gotten good at it. Uh, they keep doing it in the South China Sea, uh, where they have uh, claims uh, contrasting that with the uh, Philippines and uh, Vietnam. So they keep uh, altering the facts on the ground and also try to back up with some uh, biased uh, maps or biased reports from uh, centuries earlier. And that is how they kind of uh, strengthen their uh, position. So I think uh, I think it's a similar strategy that they are planning out here as well in the western sector in Ladakh. And uh, you never know if they want to do something similar in uh, Sikkim as well. But we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You so uh, yeah. So until now we looked at the actual skirmishes and uh, the more of the. Uh, uh, tactical uh, uh, happenings around uh, in uh, Ladakh, but we also need to look at uh, the larger geopolitical aspect of all this, especially from a 30,000 feet level, uh, since uh, both India and China have always been that loggerheads when it comes to the uh, the line of control, line of actual control. So let us look at the uh, strategic response of uh, India and figure out uh, how uh, India has reacted. So um, during the 2017 Doklam crisis, while uh, the United States made a reference to the crisis in favor of India, there was hardly any reaction from the rest of the world, most probably fearing the Chinese backlash. As former Foreign Secretary and National Security Advisor Shiv Shankar Menon wrote in a paper for Brookings, 
that no other country shares India's precise set of interests for the simple reason that no other country shares India's history, geography, size, culture, and identity. There is no point in India getting dragged into external engagements where it would have to make a stand if it was part of a, uh, of a military alliance like NATO with USA or other powers. The more India rises, the more it must expect Chinese opposition and it will have to also work with other powers to ensure that, it interests, that its interests are protected in the neighborhood, in the neighborhood, the region and also in the world. The balance will keep shifting between cooperation and competition uh, with China, both of which characterize that relationship. Now, uh, Mohal, one funny thing that I uh, read uh, while researching was that somebody uh, of repute, I, again, I wouldn't want to name him, uh, <laughs> actually, actually went ahead and suggested that India would have to uh, attack China in the South China Sea as a revenge for all this. So, uh, again, uh, um, just, just like how I mentioned, India should not get dragged into all these external entanglements where their forces run thin and they have no way of uh, supplementing their own uh, armed forces strength and end up looking weaker and uh, having their nose bloodied unnecessarily. So I think, I think India should just focus and concentrate on what they want and how they want to achieve it rather than uh, rather than opening up new friends when they can hardly uh, hardly support that and strengthen that. Um, also, again, uh, the important thing is that there is a need to rapidly accumulate usable and effective power, even while the microbalance will take time to write itself. In 2017, there was almost daily coverage on Doklam in what was a campaign by state-controlled media in China to whip up the public sentiment. Mohal, you would be aware of all this. So, uh, every day we would get up to see uh, yeah. brand new claims and brand new uh, threatening articles and yeah. op-eds uh, uh, coming in from the state media and also yeah. from uh, the, uh, the, uh, the global uh, uh, channel news as well. So, I think uh, you are getting a reminder of the 62 or as if we had amnesia and we Indians forgot the 62 or every day you should remind. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, we just had to remind them that we that we are elephants and we have elephantine memory. I mean, also I remember they also did make one of those channels uh, a racist video, making fun of Indians. It was like getting nasty in the end, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Okay. So uh, China's government and media uh, have maintained a studied public silence on uh, the developments uh, through much of the past uh, two three weeks. Uh, again, in a marked contrast to. Uh, the daily public messaging that we saw during the Doklam standoff. As of May 26, uh, there has been little coverage on the border uh, in Chinese media. Again, another con contrast from 2017. Now, uh, that approach uh, of uh, whipping up the public sentiment has largely been absent so far. The silence from both New Delhi and Beijing has been, set, has been seen by observers as suggesting a desire to keep space for de-escalation. And what happens generally is if uh, both, uh, both the fighting parties keep uh, moving closer and closer to the cliff, uh, to the edge of the cliff, then it becomes extremely difficult to walk back to a point of safety. And uh, I think it's, I think it's uh, very prudent that both of them have a desire to keep uh, space for de-escalation and also uh, uh, ensuring that there is some kind of a chance and hope that uh, the longer the standoff continues, uh, we will have more and more chances for de-escalation. Now in 2017, the Chinese analysts had described the Doklam standoff as being qualitatively different from other India-China border situations, as it was not taking place on territory between, territory disputed between the two countries. In fact, China was emphasizing in statements then that India had crossed into the border crossed across the border into Bhutan on land that is disputed between Bhutan and China and to which India had no claim. So basically the Chinese were telling that India should mind its own business and should walk back. Now some, uh, again uh, coming back to the current day scenario, we will need some demarcation to be done uh, across all these lines. Otherwise uh, just empty barren lands and we'll have no idea of uh, each other's claims and we'll have such skirmishes 
and also arm clashes uh, a possibility of arm clashes happening and things uh, spiraling out of control as well happening in the future if you remember modi in 2014 uh, had said uh, i quote him uh, clarification of line of actual control would greatly contribute to our efforts to maintain peace and tranquility and uh, requested uh, President Xi to uh, resume the stalled process of clarifying the line of actual control. We should also seek an early settlement of the boundary question." Unquote. Now, from Beijing's standpoint, Indian action uh, has been a clear violation of uh, China's sovereignty, even if the area was also claimed by Bhutan, uh, with whom uh, India has a special kind of relationship, more like a protectorate. Hence, India, hence China's diplomacy was vocal and public, designed to communicate its resolve to defend what it, view, what it views as its territory in the Doklam Bowl. When Indian troops returned across the border to Indian territory, the situation eased and was eventually resolved. Today, however, uh, China appears to be asserting itself along the line of actual control in the Western sector. This is similar to the 2013 and 2014 border standoffs between China and India. Uh, perhaps paradoxically, fewer and lesser vocal or public statements allow China to use troop movements and posture to signal its opposition to Indian activities on the LAC while leaving flexibility for a resolution that would likely entail Chinese troops returning to their original positions. By contrast, in Doklam, uh, China very publicly tied its hands in a way that it is not do, doing today, at least so far. Now again, um, uh, Mohan, you spoke about uh, this particular interview of uh, uh, Suda, uh, Lieutenant General Diasuda and uh, China watcher Jaidev Ranade uh, mm -hmm. with uh, Nitin Gokhale on Stratmus Global. Now again, in that same uh, interview, uh, Jaidev Ranade said that after statements in August 19, uh, post the Article 370 being abrogated, uh, the Chinese feel that their strategic and economic interests in POK are threatened. He also says that China views Modi government policy as being more muscular. He further adds that uh, Chinese believe that everyone is occupied with COVID-19, so they can take advantage of this situation. This, he believes, shows in their actions where they, are try, where, the, where they are trying to up the ante not only across the line of actual control, but also on other fronts such as Hong Kong, Taiwan, and South China Sea. The Chinese mistakenly think uh, that India will back down when threatened by looking for some way out. Lieutenant General Diaz Huda uh, pointed out uh, that this can't be emphasized enough. Chinese military pressure on India has not worked in a very, very long time. Uh, be it the 1967 Nathula clashes or the 1986 Sundarongchu standoff, 2013 Debsang, 2014 Chumir, or 2017 Doklam. Uh, he further adds, saying that where, where has military pressure on India worked for Chinese giving very big dividends? On the idea of India putting the pressure back on China, he says that there are points across the LAC and international boundary where it can be done. Uh, he is not in favor of upping the ante uh, on China via maritime domain by sailing in the South China Sea, which is something that even I agree with. I already made that point. So yeah, so this uh, is kind of the strategic uh, response coming in from India. Uh, Mohan, you want to talk about the Chinese diplomatic response for all this? Yeah, so uh, on May 19th, I mean, this was like quite some time ago, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Beijing said that India had crossed the LAC in the western section and Sikkim to enter what they say uh, to enter Chinese territory. It also accused India of blocking normal patrols and attempting to unilaterally change the status quo, which is, I mean, kind of hilarious because it's exactly the opposite of what uh, uh, we have been reporting. Now, another statement on May 22nd said that with the border never being demarcated, problems occurred on occasion. It said that China opposed infringements across the border and diplomatic channels were open and it is believed that the issue could be properly resolved through negotiation. Uh, 
the English ed- uh, language uh, Global Times on May 18 published the only article so far on the border situation saying that Chinese troops have bolstered border control measures and have made necessary moves in response to India's uh, recent illegal construction of defenses, defense facilities across the border into Chinese territory in the Galwan region, end quote. It cited a, a quote like a, a source to the Chinese military, uh, a Chinese version of the article uh, published on Sina website's military portal referred to Galwan various Chinese, uh, China's territory, although this was missing in the uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs uh, statements. So, so the Global Times was actually uh, asking for more, while uh, the MFA is uh, just making claims. Global Times was actually making uh, far more exorbitant claims. But I mean, it's just like a state mouthpiece, so you can never know the distinction, right? I mean, you could be playing a bad cop, good cop situation. Oh, indeed, indeed. Yeah. So, so the next time around when they actually uh, sit across the table, they might actually come up with the Global Times version and tell, you know what, we actually claim all this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the uh, CGTN China on Wednesday, uh, I mean, like this is like not this Wednesday, but earlier, uh, reiterated uh, its stance that on the border uh, issues with India is consistent and clear and stressing uh, that the situation in the China-India border area is overall stable and controllable. Now, Zhao Lijian, like spokesperson for the Chinese Foreign Ministry, uh, made the remarks when asked whether China had sent an additional 5,000 troops to the line of actual control with India. Uh, Zhao said the situation with the border with India is overall stable and controllable, underscoring that the two countries have proper mechanisms and communication channels to resolve the issues uh, made through a dialogue and consultation. Uh, he said like that we are capable of resolving the issues properly through dialogue and consultation. Uh, Zhao stated while stressing that China remains committed to safeguarding its territorial sovereignty and security and safeguarding peace and stability in the uh, border areas. Now China, he said like China and India are fighting the uh, COVID. Uh, actually, sorry, the Chinese envoy to India, uh, Sun Waidong, he said that China and India are fighting together against COVID-19 and we have an important task to consolidate relations. Our youth should realize the relation between China and India. The two countries are opportunities for each other and pose no threat, end quote. I mean, just literally saying no threat at the end was kind of hilarious in my opinion. Uh, on Sunday, the Chinese foreign minister Yang Yi didn't, did not even mention India once during the, his long annual conference in Beijing. With the Chinese uh, National People's Congress, uh, it started like uh, last Friday. There is an unlikely to be an any meaningful dialogue between uh, the two sides until this ends, I feel. I mean, the Chinese Foreign Ministry did speak for a record 100 minutes, but there was no mention of India. I mean, as uh, our former PM, Atal Bihari Vajpayee sagely had observed, like you can change your friends, but not neighbors. I think this observation still holds true. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's look at uh, Indian diplomatic stand, uh, which uh, we have not looked at so far. Uh, the proof of the pudding actually lies in the eating. So it needs to be seen if the PLA will ask its soldiers to return back from their forward positions. This will be the actual step which confirms the diffusion of tensions. India cannot and should not be satisfied with the statement coming in from the Chinese foreign ministry. After all, even the Dokla crisis uh, spread out for 70, 73 days. These LAC incursions are less than a month old as we record this episode. The Chinese might want to drag this issue for a while longer to test our military and political resolve. Both sides are aware that they cannot and don't need a full-scale war at this moment. However, with an unmarked boundary, it becomes imperative for both sides to keep making periodic claims. Else, when the actual time comes to sit down at the table and discuss, the lack of periodic claims might ruin the case. Hence, both countries in general and China specifically would want to create favorable facts on the ground and also attempt to remove unfavorable facts on the ground. After all, 
This was the strategy adopted by China in its claims in the South China Sea. And India will be wary of such tactics and, and would not wish to be seen as going down to pressure. The current agreements to manage the border don't seem to be working when they were, draw, uh, when they were drawn up uh, years ago. A new modus vivendi will have to be reached, otherwise these events will keep on happening. How best to tackle such situations going forward without compromising India's interests in face of Chinese pressure and bullying is an open question. With the likelihood of such incidents, including physical fighting between troops, more likely to occur, there remains a danger of actual shots being fired by some crazy soldier when he is under the pump during such standoffs. This can easily devolve into a 1967 Natula-type incident. Back in 67, we did not have social media and 24-7 news media, which would create intense pressure on both sides to not back down, making any kind of diplomatic de-escalation difficult to execute. In Modi 2.0, former Foreign Secretary and Indian Ambassador to China, Subramaniam Jaishankar, was made the Minister for External Affairs primarily because of his experience in dealing with the Chinese. In September last year, when he was on a whirlwind tour around the world to justify India's step to repeal autonomy of the state of Jammu and Kashmir, he had said during his address to the Council, of Foreign, Council on Foreign Relations, CFR, I quote him, where we differ with China, we have mechanisms, and in a way, a sort of ethos of handling it. And frankly, it's not a relationship that has given cause for anxiety to the world for many, many years." Unquote. During the Chennai Connect informal summit between Narendra Modi and Xi Jinping at Mamallapuram on the outskirts of Chennai in October 2019, both the leaders had vowed to maintain peace and tranquility in the border areas. Now is the time to come good on that vow for China's political and military leadership. Although China would never say this publicly, there is an assessment in India that China feels that India's push to build physical infrastructure can one day threaten the Lhasa-Kashgar Highway in Aksai Chin. Remember, both Tibet and Xinjiang are restive provinces in the far west of China. From a strategic perspective, this is kind of similar to how India thinks that China has a stranglehold on India's northeast as it has the ability to control the chicken's neck. The only difference is that once the chicken's neck is captured, the only way India's northeast can be contacted by the mainland is by air. However, such a complication does not arise in case of Lhasa Kashgar Highway. Also, China might still feel irritated by the presence of Indian infrastructure this close to their highway. What has alarmed analysts and policymakers in India this time around is the fact that Chinese incursions happened at multiple places across the LOC at once in a synchronized fashion. Added to this were the aggressive stance taken by the Nepali government at the behest of the Chinese and also the incident, incident of sinking of a Vietnamese fishing boat in the South China Sea near the Parasal Islands in early April. India, on the other hand, is left with no option but to stare back at the Chinese across the LAC and make it obvious to them that the Indian military and the political establishment won't back down. Hence, the government runs the risk of being seen as capitulating in front of an emboldened Xi Jinping who is desperate to whip up nationalistic sentiments as the domestic situation was nothing to talk about for the party and Jinping. Okay, so uh, let's just quickly talk about uh, the US President Donald Trump's offer to mediate. Amidst all these developments uh, came a sudden and unexpected offer from uh, the US President Donald Trump that he was ready, willing, and able to mediate between India and China when asked. India has always held the view that border disputes are to be resolved using bilateral means between the two nations. Not surprising at all that India's MEA spokesperson Anurag Srivastava said that the two sides have established mechanisms both at military and diplomatic levels to resolve situations 
that may arise in border areas peacefully through dialogue and continue to remain engaged through these channels. China too declined the offer from the US. Zhao Lijian, spokesman of the Chinese Foreign Ministry said, I quote him, both parties have the ability to properly resolve problems between the two countries through dialogue and consultation. No third party intervention is required. Unquote. Mohal? Yeah, so uh, I mean, it was kind of hilarious that uh, for the Chinese, it would really rankle them that uh, like for them, India is a weak, inferior power and to be put on the same pedestal as India. I mean, when uh, Trump uh, comments about intervening in or helping India and Pakistan talk together, it rankles Indians. The same situation would have been in Beijing when the comment was made, you know. I mean, it, it, it sounds uh, uh, very hypocritical in another sense as well. Uh, Trump, wa- Trump wants to punish China uh, when it comes to many other uh, issues like trade or Hong Kong or South China Sea. But when it comes to the LAC, he wants to offer his own services to mediate. So again, uh, some kind of a hypocrisy there. Yeah. So Kishore, do you want to take the uh, end the show for us? Uh, yes, I think uh, we've, we've covered quite a bit of ground, and uh, people would want to. Uh, people would now have a fair idea of uh, how things stand. Uh, before we wind uh, this episode up, uh, let's switch our focus to recommendations. Mohal, uh, you want to share anything that you read which is worth recommending to our listeners? Yeah, I would recommend the uh, the the show. I mean the interview that uh, Nitin Gokhale on Strat News Global did with uh, Jayadev Ranade and uh, D.S. Uh, yeah, uh, Lieutenant General uh, now retired D.S. Uda. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fascinating interview where you kind of get uh, get to know the Indian perspective. Yeah. And uh, again, my recommendation for the week, I have already recommended this book earlier, but I would want to recommend it again. Is, uh, the book called uh, Choices Inside the Making of Indian Foreign Policy by Shiv Shankar Menon. Uh, he kind of uh, talks about all the various choices that India had to make when it comes to various uh, foreign policy uh, challenges that it had to face. Okay, so with that, we come to the end of this week's episode where we covered in detail the multiple skirmishes witnessed across the LAC between China and India. To continue hearing about such interesting topics, do subscribe to our channel India Rising wherever you are listening to us. If you have not left us a review, we urge you to do so as it helps other listeners like you in finding us. We will be covering the larger global geopolitical ramifications of the COVID-19 pandemic in one of our future episodes as we believe that there are developments still happening and it's too early right now to come up with our analysis. We would also like to hear from you if you have any suggestions on any topics that you would like us to cover. Do remember that these topics should be directly related to Indian foreign policy. Until the next time, this is Mohal and Kishore signing off.